picture depicted on the screen, the cartoon there, that's from the Disney film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Some of you maybe were around when it came out, but I'm not sure because it was released in 1937, so highly doubtful. <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was Disney's first ever animated feature film. And of course, the heroine is the beautiful Snow White, but every good story, of course, has to have um, an evil villain. And in this case, that evil villain was the wicked witch, the wicked queen, rather. Uh, she portrayed herself later as a witch. She was the wicked queen, and she was also Snow White's stepmother. The queen, as we, if you remember from watching the film, was very, very vain. And she had this magic mirror that she would peer into every single day, and she would always ask the mirror the question, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? I think, I think the line was actually magic mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, but the tradition has become mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Now, fairest back in those days, or historically, the word fair meant pleasing to the eye or flawless. We don't, we, if we were told we're fair today, we would not think that was such a compliment, but in those days, to be described as fair was quite a compliment. So the wicked stepmother, the wicked queen, would look in that mirror, she would admire herself, and she would be so pleased with her beauty, and she would be so pleased and happy by what the mirror would respond to her. Well, spiritually speaking, ladies, if we church ladies were to look into our spiritual mirrors, we could become a little or a lot or... or possibly smug or self-righteous by what we would see in our mirrors. We might be found looking in our mirror to compare ourselves to others, and that might bring on no small degree of spiritual pride. We might recount the money that we've sent so the heathen could hear the gospel. We might count up all the casseroles that we've carried to the sick, or the visits we've made to the hospital or the nursing home, or the cards, the countless cards that we have mailed to encourage and to bless others. We might remember all those perfect Sunday school attendance badges that we have stacked up since our childhood, or, or maybe the Awana badges that we've earned. The list goes on and on. But when that mirror is the law of God, the real truth is revealed. And that truth is far from good news. It's not beautiful at all. In fact, it's very bad news. I'd like to invite you to look with me at Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. When we gave it, <clears throat> excuse me, when we gaze into our bathroom mirror, it shows us that our, our hair is out of place or that our mascara is smudged, but the mirror can't fix our smudged mascara or our messy hair. It only shows us that it needs fixed. And that's what the law of God does for us spiritually. We gaze into the law and we become conscious of sin. The law of God cannot fix us. It was not intended to fix us. The purpose of the law is to make us conscious of our sin. Sin that, that is revealed within us, the sin that is revealed within us, that's the bad news. And we have to know the bad news before we can embrace the good news. I'd like you to stand now with me in honor of God's word as we are reminded of the bad news that the mirror of God's law reveals. This is a hard text, so gear up, ladies, gear up and just bear up under it. We're going to read from Romans chapter 3, 
verses 9 to 20, and I want us to consider that this is not only the Word of God, this is the mirror that we are gazing into as we assess our own hearts. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike under sin. And following up on last week's teaching, ladies, we might say that older brothers and and, and younger brothers or older sisters and younger sisters are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Ladies, you may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of God's word. Would you just pray with me as we begin? Father God, these these last two to three lessons as we have unpacked sin and we've looked at sin and we've been forced to grapple and see our own sin have been very sobering. They've been very humbling. But Father, it's also brought such a a depth of sweetness and gratefulness to our souls. As we see again today this very bad news, it makes us so profoundly grateful for the good news. Jesus, you are the giver of that good news. We declare today, we know to be true, that our righteousness is only found in you, and we are grateful for that, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. The mirror of God's law reveals that all are under the power of sin. All have failed. All are unrighteous. That's the bad news. The mirror of God's law lets us see the bad news. The bad news that all indeed are unrighteous, and that's every single one of us. It's our sin that makes us unrighteous, and all means all. It includes Jew and Gentile, religious and non-religious, the older brothers and the younger brothers, the older sisters and the younger sisters, the church ladies, the prostitutes, the Sunday school teachers, and the pedophiles. There's not one human being on the face of the planet that has ever been born or ever will be born or who lives today that is not unrighteous. We all receive that same bad news, that we are sinful beings. Here's what the mirror reveals in Romans 3, 9 to 20. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, you can just read along through my little chart that I've put together. It's, this is the bad news from Romans 3, 9 to 20. This is what I just read aloud, but it just lays it out so clearly. And so that the bad news brings that, that sobering, humbling reality that we are all unrighteous. But it's all so very true. This is who all of us are guilty. And we find that here in this powerful passage. In verse 9, it says all are under sin. In verse 10, no one is righteous. Verse 11, no one understands. No one seeks God. Verse 12, all have turned away, become worthless. No one does good. Verse 13, throats are open graves. Tongues practice deceit. And again, on our mouth, verse 14, our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 15, feet that are swift to shed blood. Verse 16, ruin and misery. Verse 17, no peace. And then finally, so they get the capstone of all of this. 
that sort of is the source of all of this. There is no fear of God. Ladies, these verses confirm what we know to be true, the universality of human guilt. Our minds, our hearts, our will, our speech, our actions, our attitudes, our behaviors, it's all corrupt. We are prideful, arrogant, and we are all headed to a road of destruction apart from Jesus Christ. When we look into the mirror of God's law, this is what we see. If we look with eyes wide open, with that self-awareness that we need to see, we acknowledge that bad news. And the sobering truth that we know to be true is that all of us are broken. We are messy. We are marred by sin. And we cannot fix ourselves. We cannot change ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. That's the bad news. But thankfully, there is good news. Verse 21 says this, But now... But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. But now. Have we ever been more grateful to find a conjunction in Scripture? But now. Now there's good news. And aren't we grateful for that but now? After reading the heaviness of all that bad news, we're so ready. We welcome that good news. Righteousness of God can be found. And it comes amazingly from God. It comes from God. The righteousness of God is also the righteousness that comes from God. Verse 22 goes on to tell us the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This is the glorious, wonderful, amazing, blessed good news. This good news is so welcomed and so appreciated. It brings such profound gratefulness after reading all the bad news. This good news, this is the gospel. This is the gospel, and the gospel changes everything. It changes who we are. Don't let the familiarity of the gospel render it ho-hum or mundane. To keep the good news from just becoming common and familiar, we need to remind ourselves of what the bad news is. We have to remember the bad news to be grateful for the good news, that it's so extraordinary that we can find salvation. We can be declared righteous. We can have peace with God, and it comes from God. Do you know that Christianity is so unique among all the other world religions, among all the other religious thoughts or cults out there? All of the other ones have people working their way up to God, trying to to earn brownie points with God, trying to do enough good deeds, hoping that when it comes to the end, they've done enough good. But Christianity is exclusive in the truth that our good, no matter how hard we work, could never work us there. Christianity is alone in having God come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I love what David said in 2 Samuel twenty-two seventeen. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He pulled me out of deep waters. Our sin puts us in those deep waters. We are nailed by what the scripture tells us. But thankfully, there was one who was nailed to the cross on our behalf and took the punishment. That we can have peace with God. We can have the righteousness of God. It comes from God. It is a righteousness from God, it says in Romans 3.21. We're going to sort of pick apart Romans 3.21, sort of word by word and phrase by phrase. This righteousness that we receive originates 
with God. It comes from God. It flows from God to us. It is his plan. It is his idea. He is the originator of righteousness. And it is apart from the law. We don't manufacture righteousness. We can't create righteousness. We can't earn it by our performance or by our efforts. Aren't we grateful that we don't have a boss, but we have a father? We're not trying to earn our righteousness by our good deeds. We don't receive it by obeying God's law. And you know what else? It's not plan B. The scripture says, the law and the prophets testify. This was God's plan all along. From the beginning, it was revealed in the law and the prophets. Paul says the law and the prophets testify about this righteousness. It was revealed in the Old Testament. The signs were there that the Messiah would come. First Peter 1, 10 and 11 confirms concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. God's plan was revealed from the beginning in the Old Testament, in the law, and to the prophets. We're going to talk next week about our father Abraham and his faith, that righteousness was by faith from the very beginning, from Genesis to Revelation. It is a consistent theme. The righteousness, this righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ, it says in Romans 3.22. This righteousness from God is through faith alone in Christ alone. It's the only way. It's our only hope to find righteousness because, you see, our bad news is so bad that the only way we could get righteousness is if it were given to us. Amen. It has to be given to us. We can't earn it. We can't create it. We can't buy it. We can't manufacture it. Bad girls, I think bad girls get that. I think bad girls get that. But I think good girls sometimes have a little bit of a problem with that. Gentiles, sinners, younger brothers... This kind of follows up with the teaching from last week. They all get that. But Pharisees and religious people and older brothers and older sisters kind of reject that. Kind of maybe sometimes have a little bit of a problem with that. It's that older brother mindset that says, well, you kind of owe me. I've been faithful. You owe me. This righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who believe. It comes by faith alone. Older brothers sort of just say, that's it. You just sort of confess and that's it. You just believe and it's all okay. Sometimes it's actually harder for moral religious people to come than for a sinner. Because here's the thing, you got to come with empty hands. You got to come acknowledging that you got nothing that you can bring. Acknowledging there is nothing that you can do, nothing you have done, nothing you can bring to impress God. Leave your good works behind when you come before an almighty God. It is faith alone that is your ticket into heaven. It kind of reminds me of a, a little made-up story I heard uh, a while ago about a woman, a, a good woman, who died and went to heaven. And she was met at the gate by St. Peter, and he said, Okay, uh, you need to have 100 points to get in. So what do you got? And so she starts thinking a minute, and she goes, Well... I taught Sunday school. I taught second grade Sunday school for 40 years. And he said, okay, well, that's good. I'll give you three points. Three points for teaching 40 years of Sunday school to second graders? Okay, well, let me think. Um, okay, I, um, 
I, I took a casserole to the sick at least once a month for 20 years. Okay, that's two points. Really, two points? Okay, I tithe. I tithe my income, and I calculated it down to the penny, 10% on the money. Every payday, I wrote my check. Okay, that's good. There's another point. Oh, my word. And so she's adding up and thinking, you know, she, she's just about tapped out. He goes, you got anything else? She goes, well, I was married to the same man for, for 65 years, and I washed his dirty socks, and I... I did a home-cooked meal every day, and, and I loved him to the best of my ability, and I forgave him, and I was faithful to him. Not once was I unfaithful. He said, well, okay, that's good for another point. And she said, one point for 65 years of marriage. And she said, at this rate, it's only by the grace of God that I'm going to get into heaven. And he said, finally, you get it. Come on in. And ladies, that's the truth. There's none of that that we do is going to make a hill of beans of difference for eternity. Our good works could never be good enough to get us into heaven. Romans 3.23 makes it absolutely clear. For all have sinned and fall short. Have sinned? Well, that's past tense. That's racking up all of those sins from our youth, all those things we would just love to forget about when we lost our mind back in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or whatever it was. But then it says fall short, and that, that's the present tense. That's all the stuff now, those thoughts that run through your mind, those things that, that pop up in there and you'd like to arrest them and you, you realize that I am, I am still that girl. I'm still quick to criticize. I'm still quick to judge. I'm still quick to see somebody, the way they're dressed or the way they behave, and the judgment shows up. I, I'm reminded of the words of J. Vernon McGee on the radio. Anybody old enough to remember J. Vernon McGee and his little raspy voice that says, we sin because we're sinners and we're sinners because we sin. It's our nature. It is who we are. We have sinned and we are sinning. We are without hope left to ourselves. Our good is not good enough. Our good will never be good enough. Never can be, never will be. Our sin is so deep and wide. It reminds me of the river analogy came to mind. It's like we're on one side of the riverbank and God is on the other. And that rushing river between us is our sin. And it separates us from God. And it's so big and so great and so vast that we can't walk across and we can't swim across and we can't jump across. But the good news is that Jesus went to the cross to make a way for us. There was no other way for us to get there because all have sinned and fall short. The verse goes on then to give us what I find to be a very enlightening definition of sin. Romans 3.23, which so many of us committed to memory, even as little children, says this. You could probably recite it in your sleep. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the definition of sin. And when we dig into this definition, we see sin is so much more than just the bad stuff we do or even the good that we don't do. You know, when you think about sin being bringing glory to God. Our purpose in Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, 
whom I formed and made. That's the reason we are here. Yeah. If you ever get into one of those philosophical cons uh, discussions with somebody, what's the purpose of life? Why am I on this planet? I get up today and I run hard all day and I do the same thing I did yesterday and I never catch up and I have more bills than yesterday and the house is still a mess and the kids are, are, are still yelling and there's still a pile of laundry. What's the purpose of life? This is it. Yes. You were created to bring him glory. That's why you're on this planet. And when we seize glory for ourselves, or even when we do things with wrong motives or mixed motives, we are robbing God of the glory that is due him. There is a vast chasm between God's holiness and our sinfulness, between God's righteousness and our unrighteousness. If we were playing the $25,000 pyramid and the category was sin, and we had to come up with words that go into that category, and the, the topic were sin, we might say, Lying, stealing, gossip, adultery, pornography, gluttony. All those things that we do and we label sinful and we just like to put them all in a box and put the lid on it and not look at them and just label it sin. But what about all the things that we don't do? Opportunities to do good and we hold out on doing them. So then that would have to be sin, right? To know the good that we should do and we don't do it. So then instead of just the things that we do, then we have to consider, oh, what about the time that I refused to share a meal? What about the time that I failed to pray? What about the time that I didn't make time to listen? What about the time that I didn't go? I didn't go across the street. I didn't go to the nursing home. I didn't go on the mission trip. I didn't go to church. What about the time I failed to give? I failed to tithe to my church, or I failed to bless as God led me to bless and to give and to release. But even then, all that going and all that doing, even if we were able to move all the things from the failed to do list and move them over to the checked off and done list, it still doesn't mean we're hitting the mark. Because the goal again is to bring God glory. Are we doing those good things out of a sense of guilt? out of a sense of obligation, out of drudgery, out of self-satisfaction? Is there pride involved? Are we doing those things to impress others or to amaze others or so we can snap a pic and post it on our Insta or on Facebook? Or are we trying to appease our conscience or earn our church lady merit badge with God? Or are we women of God who are completely consumed, sold out, all in, committed to bringing glory to our great God with every single thing that we refuse to do and every single, single good act that we release and choose to walk in. Do we not only do good, but do that good so that he's the one that gets the credit, so that he's the one that is made much of, acknowledging that the idea and the prompting came from his Holy Spirit, the resources and the ability to, to, to release that, it all came from him. With that being the high bar to bring God glory, then really we all miss the mark, don't we? We all fail because we all fail to bring God glory every single time. Our text in Romans 3 goes on to present then Three, what I'm calling big churchy words. Big churchy words. Paul's going to help us learn some new vocabulary here in the next passage of Romans. And these three big words are justification, redemption, and atonement or propitiation, depending upon your translation. Justification is a legal term. Redemption is a marketplace term. And atonement or propitiation is a theological term. 
Here we go, ladies. We're in seminary, all right? Justification. Romans 3.24 says we are justified freely by his grace. Again, justified, a courtroom term. Back in Roman times, the imperial governor would sit on this big platform. It was called a bema, and it was the judgment seat. And he would hear the charges being brought against the, the accused person, and then he would make that decision about whether the accused was to be declared guilty or innocent. Well, in God's courtroom, God sits on the bema. God sits on that judgment seat, and we are all guilty. We are all declared guilty in God's courtroom, but yet we are all justified. More than being forgiven. Justified is more than being forgiven. It's being declared not guilty. Not guilty. In his love and in his mercy, God chooses not to give us what we do deserve, uh, but what we do not deserve. We are justified freely. It is a free gift. There's no merit on our part. There's no cause for our not guilty verdict. The evidence is in. We are guilty, but yet we are justified. You've probably heard it described as just as if I'd never sinned. It's just his grace, and it is amazing grace. The next word is redemption, and redemption, a marketplace term. <clears throat> now, slavery was very common in ancient Rome, also common in ancient Egypt, in ancient Greece, etc. Slavery didn't just show up in the 1800s in the American South. Human beings have been committing the despicable act of slavery, of slavery for, many, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And in fact, it even goes on today, and not just in third world nations. There are, there are young people in, in, caught up in sex slavery and sex trafficking today. It's despicable. It's horrible. It still happens. In Roman times, when Paul was writing this, my research was all over the place. Uh, one place I read three to four million people enslaved. Another place I read 60 million. Um, the, the statistics were that it was possibly as high as 30 to 40 percent of the population were slaves in the first century. Now, slavery in the first century was not based on race. You didn't just look at someone's skin color and <clears throat> label them a slave. Slaves uh, became slaves as prisoners of war. Rome, remember, had conquered the world. And wherever they went and conquered a people and conquered a land, they loaded up a lot of people and brought them back to Rome, and, and they, they, were, they were enslaved. Uh, sometimes sla sailors would be captured by pirates out on the open sea. And those, those criminals would capture these innocent sailors and sell them into slavery. Sometimes people were so desperate financially that they would sell their own children to get the money to survive. And, of course, that still happens in some parts of the world today. Sometimes a person who was in such debt would sell it himself or herself and become an indentured servant to pay the debt. Cruelty was very common to a slave. Slaves were mistreated. Uh, they were whipped, even killed. And there would never be consequences to the masters. Freedom. Uh, the, the, just the, the word freedom was very was a precious word to a slave. I, it would be precious to a slave then and precious now to someone who is enslaved. Redemption um, meant to be bought and set free. And uh, for a slave to be bought and then set free would be hope beyond hope. The very word redemption would, be, would bring such hope and joy to a first century slave. We may struggle to define it. It, it, it may make us wince to read about it, 
But in the first century, when Paul wrote these words and they were read by slaves, they knew what it meant. To, to, to read redemption meant something wholly different to a slave who could just appreciate it because they lived it. They knew what it was like to be enslaved. Whether our marketplace status is slave or free, ladies, our spiritual status is bondage. Every human being is enslaved to sin, and we have to see ourselves as in bondage to sin. We have to acknowledge that we are morally bankrupt. You and I were slaves to sin. We could not free ourselves. But in Christ, our debt has been paid. We have been redeemed. We have a Redeemer who has set us free. And he paid that price. He bought us with his blood. We are free. We have redemption in Christ. And then our third big churchy word is atonement or propitiation. Romans 3.25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Now, to understand this word, we have to go all the way back to Leviticus 16 and read about the Day of Atonement. And this was the day when the, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. They would, t- they would bring up two goats. One of the goats would be killed, and his blood would be taken by that high priest into the Holy of Holies, back beyond the curtain where everybody didn't get to go. And that blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat, and that would make the sacrifice of atonement. The other goat, high priest would lay his hands on that goat. He would confess the sins of the people, and then that goat would be released into the wilderness to carry away the sin. The scapegoat would take away the sins of the people. It was a temporary fix to satisfy God's righteous, holy wrath. But in Christ, God's holiness and God's wrath are fully satisfied on the cross. It's complete. It is done. It is finished. Through the shedding of his blood, Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice. He atoned for our sin. He became the propitiation for our sin. No more goats have to die, ladies. (laughs) No more blood needs to be shed. Jesus did it all. Done, 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 complete. At the cross of Christ, we clearly see that God is great and God is good. At the cross, God's holiness intersects with God's love. God is holy and he is loving. Atonement doesn't mean that Jesus died to appease God's wrath because God doesn't love us. And it doesn't mean that God's wrath turns into love. Atonement means that in Christ, God's holiness is satisfied so that he can extend his love and grace and mercy to lost sinners. The righteousness of God is met. It is satisfied with righteousness from God. And it happened at the cross. Romans 3.26 explains that God is both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Don't miss this. He is both just and the justifier. He does not violate his holy nature by changing or negating or ignoring or setting aside the law, but he chooses instead to satisfy his righteous requirements of the law through his own loving nature. God is great and God is good. Now that, that is cause for joyful celebration. That is good news. 
That is cause for worship and celebration. The woman of God joyfully celebrates that God is great and God is good. And we see that never more clearly than at the cross. In the person of Jesus Christ, God is just, he is great, and he is justified. He is the justifier. He is good. Jesus fully met the demands of God's law, but he also fully expressed the divine love of God's heart. Through Jesus and Jesus alone, we find justification, we find redemption, and we find atonement or propitiation. That's the good news, ladies. That's the gospel. But to embrace it, you have to first see the bad news. And so you have to, to see the bad news. You don't look into a physical mirror. The physical mirror, well, it does show some bad news, right? And it shows more bad news as time goes on. You can't outrun, you can't outrun the, 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 the passing of the years. But we don't look into a physical mirror. We look into the mirror of God's law to see the depth of our own depravity. The law cannot save us, but it shows us our need to be saved. The mirror of God's law cannot fix us, but it shows us that we need to be fixed. We need to be justified. We need to be redeemed, and we need to be atoned for. And it's only God's grace in Jesus Christ. It's only righteousness that comes from God through Christ, through faith in Christ, that can do that. I want to ask you today, is he your justifier? Is he your redeemer? Is he the propitiation for your sins? Let's pray. Oh, God Almighty, we look at your law and we see that we have failed. We have failed to live up to it, but most importantly, we have failed to bring you glory. God, as we see this and we, we look in the mirror of your law and we see the bad news, we are so profoundly, deeply grateful for the good news that we have a redeemer, we have one who loves us, we, we are grateful that Jesus was obedient to death on the cross because it is through him that we are justified. It is through him that we are redeemed. It is through him that our sins are atoned for. God, forgive us for, for letting this become ho-hum and familiar. I pray that, that our, our bad news would, be, would, would propel us to be so very grateful for the good news. We come before you today surrendered, acknowledging that on our own we are nothing but so profoundly grateful that when you look at us, you don't see our sin, you see the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have been covered by his, his righteousness. Father, may we be women of God who know this truth and, and, and live this truth and live like the righteous women that you have declared us to be. May we leave this place humbled and grateful and ever more committed to living to bring you glory. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ladies, have a great week.